Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry, and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. In God's salvation, He does not just wash us from our sins, forgive us, and make us clean, but He imparts His very life into us. He does this in order to make us His sons. So sonship, or being sons of God, is a matter of receiving the life of God. God's plan or eternal purpose cannot be realized without genuine sons of God that are a match to Him in righteousness, holiness, and glory. But all He has to work with is just sinners like you and me. How can He accomplish such a lofty goal? That's the topic of today's Life Study of Romans with Witness Lee, a production of Living Stream Ministry. This program is the fruit of the lifelong ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. And today we will bring recorded excerpts of the life study message given by Witness Lee in 1975. Here to join in the discussion of today's message once again is Francis Ball. Francis, welcome back to Life Study. Thank you for inviting me back. I enjoy being here. Francis, we have a favorite theme of Romans as our focus today, and that is that God is making sons out of sinners. This seems out of comprehension to most of us, but what does it mean, really, to make such a statement? Well, in studying the book of Romans, I do believe we have to be very clear about this focus of making sons out of sinners. I'd just like to say God is not making obedient people out of disobedient people, and He's not making good people out of bad people. He's not making religious people out of heathen. And he's not making slaves out of ambitious people. No, he's making sons out of sinners. This is a matter of life. Our being sinners is not just that we did something wrong, but the fact is that we were constituted sinners. We were born in sin. We do things sinful because we are constituted with this kind of nature. To make such uh, sin-constituted people into sons is a matter of life. To be sons of God means that we have the life of God. We shouldn't think that just to be forgiven of our sins is the goal that God has. No, His goal is to put His life into us. Sons are made sons by life. So God's sons are made God's sons by God's life. In God's salvation, He does not just wash us from our sins, forgive us, and make us clean, but He imparts His very life into us. He does this in order to make us His sons. So sonship, or being sons of God, is a matter of receiving the life of God. Francis, thank you. I really appreciated that distinction of what God is doing and what He isn't doing. Very helpful. Let's join Witness Lee with today's life study. 
Paul got the revelation. And the revelation Paul got was that God has an eternal plan. This is our modern word. The biblical word is purpose. God has an eternal purpose. The word purpose really means plan. God has an eternal plan to produce many sins to himself with his life. Or, we have to say, with himself as life. God produces sins with himself as the life. And this means he would work himself into all these beings as the life. So these beings, by his life and with his life, all become his sons. All become some beings born of him. So these beings just become sons of God. But still, this is not the ultimate goal of his purpose. The ultimate goal of his purpose is to build all the sons together into one body to express Christ. Now you got the ultimate goal of God's purpose. The basic concept of this book is that God is making sense out of sinners to form a body to express Christ. Now, we come to the chapters of this book. No other book in any of the 66 books in the Bible is so very well organized. The first eight chapters form the first main section. Then, in the middle part, you have three chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11. These three form another section. Then, you have another five chapters. Chapters... 12 through 16. And these five chapters form the third main section. In the first section, it is not something related to the body yet. It is absolutely a matter of personal salvation unto individuals who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Then, in the last section, from chapter 12 through chapter 16, my, what is covered here? The body. The body. The church life. Right? The many brothers in chapter 8. Now, in this section, from chapter 12, all become what? Members. 
members, the many brothers, all become members of the body of Christ. You see the point? Now, it is not a matter of life. The matter of life is fully covered in the first section. Now, it is a matter of function. You see? The many sons have to become the many members. As we are sons, it is a matter of life. Now, we become members. It is a matter of what? Of function. We all have to function as what? As a body. To do what? To express Christ. Am I right? And this body has to be expressed locally in all the local churches. In other words, all the local churches are just practical expressions of the body of Christ. And this body of Christ is the expression of Christ himself. And Christ himself is the expression of God himself. Could you follow me? Sorry to say this. God is expressed in Christ, and Christ is expressed in his body, and his body is expressed for in the local church. Francis, we have a clear picture here of the three sections of the book of Romans and the focus of the first section. And by far the most well-known portion of Romans, I believe, is the first eight chapters dealing with our personal salvation experience. Many Christians, I think, would be satisfied just to have a book of Romans with only these eight chapters. I would uh, have to agree with that because uh, as I go through uh, these early chapters of Romans, or I should say the first section, which is eight chapters, uh, we could never have the last eight chapters if we didn't have the first eight chapters. <laughs> However, the first eight chapters are not the whole story of God's salvation. These chapters concern our personal salvation. And I believe in answering the kind of question you proposed, that we would be satisfied with just those first eight chapters in many cases, is because somewhat we're selfish about this matter of salvation. If it satisfies us, we assume that it satisfies God. But there's more to our salvation than just what personally affects us. These chapters concern our personal relationship with God and mostly deal with what we experience of Christ in an individual way. And we certainly need to emphasize this aspect very much, for these chapters bring us all the way to experiencing our being saved in his life. It even goes on to show us in these chapters how we can experience the working of the inner law of life, which is in our regenerated spirit. In chapter 8, we even have the way to experience the uh, mind being made life, as well as our spirit. Still, all this experience in the first eight chapters is for the individual salvation. And I believe this is the main reason that many have liked to just remain with these first eight chapters. Uh, in a short while, we'll get into these other chapters and see that God's eternal purpose is to have us to be not only sons but also members of his body.
So for this reason, many Christians are satisfied to only have the forgiveness of sins, the experiences of the first eight chapters. The later chapters, especially chapters 12 through 16, will bring us to experience the corporate Christ and the building up of the body of Christ. And this is God's goal in having us experience these eight chapters. Francis, we'll, we'll leave this fellowship for our listeners as a kind of a preview of coming attractions. Uh, the book of Romans is not over yet, but we today are going to focus more on this first section dealing with our personal relationship and experience of Christ. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Let's now start some kind of a reconsideration of the first section, including the first eight chapters. Firstly, the writer exposed us according to our doings, according to what we did. We did nothing but dirty, evil, dark, ugly. I don't know. I don't have more words to express all the things that Apostle Paul exposed here. Not our persons yet, but our doing. Then after these, from chapter 5, verse 12, the writer exposed what we are. Not only what we did, but also what we are. Brothers and sisters, do you really know what you are? You are constituted sinners. Yes. You are a sinner. You see? Don't think uh, you never stole, you never did anything bad, you never committed any kind of sinful thing, then you are not a sinner. No, sorry to say, you are wrong. It is just like an apple tree. Before this little tree bears any kind of apple, it was a tree already. It was an apple tree, and it is an apple tree, so it bears what? Apples. Before bearing apples, the tree is an apple tree already. It is an apple tree first, then it bears apples. If you are not an apple tree, you can never bear the apples. Why you commit so many sins? Just because you are a sinner. Right. Right? Don't think you become a sinner by committing sins. No. You are a sinner, so you commit sins. You commit sins because you are a sinner. We are just constituted sinners. Now, uh uh-huh. Paul told us God's economy, God's divine arrangement uh, in producing sins out of these sinners, doing evil things. These beings are constituted sinners and doing evil things. And how could God produce so many wonderful sins to himself? 
Francis, Romans is very methodical and organized in how it takes us through the aspects and steps of God's salvation. First, it touches what we do, and then it touches what we are. What is the difference between sins in our deeds and sin in our constitution? You know, the uh, the book of Romans is well known by many, many Christians, particularly in the matter of how it condemns us. It condemns man in general. It condemns uh, the religious man. It, it condemns the moral man. It just brings out, first of all, all of our doings and really uh, nails us, if you will. It really shows us that we have no excuse, that our deeds are really dirty, ugly, and not, not pleasing to God at all. So when we often preach the gospel, uh, the Lord may lead us to bring out specific wrongdoings that exactly fit the situation with whoever, whomever is in the audience. And sometimes this has happened in the preaching of the gospel. Uh, certain specific sinful things have been mentioned, and it convicts the very person that's sitting there. And he has to react to that. He has to respond to that. Because it reveals what he did, his acts. Now, the question is, what's the difference between the sins that we commit and the sin that we are. We are sin because of the fall we were constituted sin. So whatever comes out of us are the sins that we commit. It's the very same as a, a tree. For example, an apple tree will bring forth apples. It doesn't bring forth something else. But it does bring forth apples because it's an apple tree. We are sinners, so what do we produce? We produce sinful acts, sinful doings. So if I were to say to you right now, you may be driving down the freeway in your car while you're listening to this program. You may be sitting at home. But what did you do last night? Just to propose that question will stir something within you and then begin to maybe enumerate actual sins that maybe you committed but not by our natural knowledge, but by just by speaking this way, this may really convict you of the doings. This is the Lord's first step in bringing people to himself, is to show them what they're doing is against, against God, is not for God, but is, is sinful. But what they are is what caused that sin to come out. They were constituted sin. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men because that all have sinned. Because of that, we need a Savior, we need forgiveness, and we need another life, the life of God. We need the forgiveness to deal with what we've done, but we need this other life for what we are. Right, that's exactly it. Francis, let's join Witness Lee for the conclusion of today's life study. You have me. How could God make sense out of this kind of people? By three things. <laughs> By three things. You did this. I believe. Now you should you should have God with three things. Number one, God's righteousness. Number two, God's holiness. 
Number three, God's glory. Paul, in this book, told us clearly that God has put his righteousness upon us. He has reckoned his righteousness as ours. That means he has given us his righteousness. And that also means he has put his righteousness upon us. Just like this, you see. Now, say, I am so naked. I'm sure of something. And God's righteousness, just like what? A robe. God has put the robe of righteousness upon me. You see, something has been put upon me. Look at me now. My, I am righteous. Because I am in God's righteousness. I am fully covered with God's righteousness. How could this be done? How could God's righteousness be reckoned on me through the death of Christ? Through the death of Christ. Through the redeeming death of Christ. God's righteousness is reckoned upon me. Then what? Then God is working. Working what? It's working His holiness into us. Now it is not something upon us, but it is something into us. God is working His holiness into us. It is not just an outward covering, but some inward imparting. Inward imparting. And this holiness, as we have seen, of God is just God's divine nature. God's divine nature is holy. So holiness refers to God's divine nature. How could God work his holiness into us but by imparting his divine nature into us? How could this be done? Just by God coming into us as our life. God comes into us as our life to saturate all parts of our inward being with whatever God is. But still, we are not in the glory yet. We are not in the glory yet. Don't forget. See, the eventual step for God to work on us is the step of glorification. One day, one day will come that we all will be what? Glorified. This was marvelous today to see that God's plan to make sinners into sons must include these three aspects, righteousness, holiness, and finally even glory. Francis, how does God make us, the sinners, into sons in view of these three factors? These uh, three aspects or three points, or I would say three attributes of God, must be satisfied for God to be able to make us his sons and to bring us to himself to be one with him for eternity. These three are righteousness, holiness, and glory. 
And praise the Lord, these are all met by Christ Himself. Not only objectively, although with righteousness, what has happened to make us righteous is the very death of Christ applied to us. When He died for our sins, He took away our sins, He is the righteous one, and He makes us righteous by what He did on the cross. When I receive Christ, I'm righteous before God. I can stand before God uncondemned because He is my righteousness. Just like the uh, the returning son, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when he came back to the father, the father didn't punish him. The father clothed him, put on him a robe. That robe is a type of Christ. We are clothed with Christ when we come to receive Him as our Savior. And this satisfies God's righteousness. Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is life because of righteousness. But this is not all. God is holy, and we are unholy. Holiness has to do with God's nature. Righteousness has to do with what He did for us on the cross in His death. But holiness is what He does in us by His life. He imparts His very nature into our being. Day by day, He is operating to impart Himself, to infuse Himself into us. Experience by experience, day by day, prayer by prayer, we're becoming holy. The Bible says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. We cannot do this by any act that we perform, but by God infusing Himself into us, into our spirit, and gradually into our mind, into our emotion, into our will, He makes us partaker of the divine nature. So by this way, He's imparting Himself into us to give us the very nature of God. Now, that's not all. Eventually, praise the Lord, we will be the glory of God. When Christ, who is our life, is glorified, manifested in glory, we will be manifested with Him. How does He do this? By imparting Himself into us to the point that we are transfigured to be like Him, even in expression, while He's working on us day by day, because He's made us righteous, because He is working His holy nature in us, He will certainly glorify us with Christ for eternity. Francis, I hope our listeners got as much out of today's fellowship as I did. I couldn't help but think back to when I first received the Lord and my realization that my problem was all the things that I had done. And then later, I found out that there was a source in me much deeper than just my actions that was a more significant problem. But then as time goes on, we realize not only is our problem deeper, but also God's full salvation is much deeper than yeah. we ever realized or appreciated in those first hours after our receiving Him. It's a wonderful life we're in, Francis. Thank you for your fellowship. Thank you. I appreciate your testimony. We've had a wonderful week of life study, and we have a week ahead of us that you will not want to miss. I hope you'll be back with us as we once again join Witness Lee for the life study of Romans. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, 
lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.